It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, the time has finally arrived where we're going to get to the point of discussing what I've been promising for quite some time, which is how to choose mutual funds. Um, I know I've been putting this off for two weeks, but um, there were some good reasons. You remember we had um, the, the whole bank crisis where the quasi, you know, or what the media told us was a bank crisis, where you had people supposedly making runs on banks, even though we've got FDIC insurance since 1933, but I guess it sold some newspapers and got some people to watch some TV programs and it was interesting enough. But then last week we had Liz Weston on and I think hopefully you guys had a chance to listen to that um, that interview because I learned a good bit and it's always exciting when I'm able to pick up on some, some, some information. And one of the things Liz talked about that I was really shocked by it. She talked about how she dropped her iPhone and was able to get it repaired through because she bought it through a credit card company. So I did go check that out and I'm going to share those details with you in a minute. But um, I did want to welcome those. You know, if you are tuning in for the first time, this is the Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. I am a certified financial planner, a certified public accountant, and a personal financial specialist, which just means that I'm a CPA that does financial planning. And by day, I'm a partner at a fee-only wealth management firm on the south side of Atlanta. And on the side, just for giggles, as I always say, I'm a three-year veteran blogger and podcaster who believes in bringing high-quality personal finance advice that goes beyond common sense to the average investor. Um, Our websites and important show notes are definitely at money-guy.com. You can go there and actually um, read all of our our show notes that we try to provide links and other data that you probably can't get while you're driving down the road listening to this or riding on the subway or wherever you're listening to us. You can leave praise and public comments in the website's comment section, but leave ideas for improvement to me directly at my email address, which is brian at money-guy.com. iTunes and subscription and critical to us feedback is at money-guy.com backslash iTunes. So let's talk first before we get into mutual funds about Liz coming on the show last week. One of the things she mentioned about breaking her iPhone that I thought was interesting is that she was able to get it replaced by because she had a signature coverage on her, um, she used a signature Visa or signature MasterCard, but it was one of the signature cards, so it had a little additional um, member benefit called um, Purchase Security and Extended Protection. So I went on Visa's website and, and looked that up, and what Purchase Security is, it says within the first 90 days of purchase, Purchase Security at the provider's discretion, replace, repair, or reimburse you for eligible items of personal property purchased entirely with your eligible Visa business card up to a maximum of $10,000 per claim and $50,000 per car holder in the event of theft or damage. And then you also get what's called extended protection. Extended protection doubles the time period of your original manufacturer's written U.S. warranty up to one full year on warranties of three years or less up to a maximum of $10,000 per claim. And what ticked me off was I didn't know this and, you know, and I like to think that I'm kind of savvy on the on the personal finance stuff, but th- what upset me was that I had a Dell computer that, I promise you, the hard drive went out on it exactly two weeks after the one-year warranty on this desktop. And, and what was, you know, it was okay because I had reciprocal drives, so it was just a matter of having to, having to put another hard drive in there, and then everything was right back up and running. But it was still the 
the thought that this thing went out exactly a year after I'd purchased it. And I called Dell and I said, hey, look, you know, this thing is two weeks past the warranty. Can y'all hook me up? And they, no, of course not. So if I'd have known this, because I bought the Dell through the credit card, um, I could have probably gotten the repairs and everything taken care of by the fact that I bought this through the credit card company. I did call Chase. That's who I have my business card with and talk to them. They said, if I can go pull all the paperwork together, they still might consider it. So I, I might take them up on that offer, but I thought it was a very interesting um, tip that Liz threw out there. And I thought, thought it was something you guys could benefit from as well. Now let's talk about these mutual funds. I do want to give you guys a little bit of, of knowledge, foundation knowledge. Now, a lot of my listeners who've been with me for a long time are going to know this stuff, so I'm going to go through it very quickly before we get into the actual criteria and items that you need to be paying attention to with, with mutual funds. But um, last week we talked about, or I should say three weeks ago, we talked about when, where, and how of investing. Um, but based upon the, the, the emails I've gotten and the feedback, we do need to go a little deeper and give you some of these definitions. So and these definitions came directly from about.com. And it has for stocks, it says, a stock is an instrument that signifies an ownership or equity in a company. Um, so in other words, you are, you're purchasing shares whose value can increase or decrease as the company's assets increase or de decrease. So, you know, a bond is you're basically a written promise to repay the principal amount upon maturity and to make specified interest payments to the bondholder. In, in other words, when you buy stocks, you're buying an actual interest in the company. You're hoping that company's going to go up in value. When you buy a bond, when you buy a bond, you're essentially um, buying on the the credit of the company. You're buying on their good word that they're going to pay you back. You're lending them money is essentially what you're doing with a bond. And then a mutual fund, if you're just wondering what a mutual fund is, it's an investment tool that allows investor, investors to participate in a diversified portfolio with other investors. What happens is, is a company collects the funds of several investors and then uses the funds in a variety of investment. Each investor shares in the gains and or losses. And what's great about mutual funds is that they allow you to really diversify and spread your money out very easily. If you think about it in terms of if you were trying to do a bond portfolio, it's hard if you only have $50,000 to buy in bonds to get adequate coverage over corporate, government, international, and all the other different type of bonds, inflation-protected bonds. I mean, you can go the whole scope of all the different bonds that are out there. With $50,000, you probably at most could buy you know, five bonds, you know, at $10,000 a piece increments. That's not going to be enough for diversification purposes, but it's great when you can go buy, you know, three or four bond mutual funds and cover the entire broad spectrum of what you can invest in with bonds. Same thing with equities. You can go buy, you know, if, if you're trying to put together a really good diversified portfolio and you have $100,000, kind of hard to do $100,000 across a, a, a good group of, of stocks because it's hard because of all the transaction costs plus you know it, it's just buying and keeping up with all the individual stocks and the annual reports the proxies all the crazy paperwork that they're going to send you it makes it much much easier if you do kind of a pooled portfolio and that's exactly what mutual funds do for you no load funds uh, a no load fund is just a mutual fund that does not charge any commissions um, versus the opposite of that is a loaded fund, which is a commission fund or that has a sales charge or pays the person who's selling it to you um, some type of fee or commission for the, the, the sales. Um, index funds, you know, it's funny, I had a very successful 
new client in here the other day and he said, Brian, what's, what is an index fund? I hear people talking about that all the time. I hear Warren Buffett even say index funds are good, but what is an index fund? So I think that, it, you know, so it doesn't matter how successful, how smart you are. A lot of people just don't know some of these financial basics, but an index fund is a mutual fund whose portfolio of stocks is weighted the same as the stock exchange. The, the big thing about index funds, they don't have managers. An index fund, instead of trying to to put your money with a manager who's going to try to pick, um, use their expertise to, to outperform what's going on out there in, in the financial markets. You're just buying. You're saying instead of trying to beat the markets, why, don't, why not just be the markets? So you don't have a manager. You're just buying exactly what's going on out there. Um, in, in the last podcast, I gave you my opinion that those that have less than $200,000 should really consider using you know, some of these new lifestyle asset allocation funds, like the Fidelity Freedom Funds, Vanguard Target Retirement Funds. And both of these fund companies, Fidelity and Vanguard, are mutual fund companies that, that are known in the industry as being very low cost. They don't have a lot of expenses. But I've, I've had several people who've written to me that were confused as to what type of investment these asset allocation funds were. And, and so I wanted to give you because you can't cover all this in one podcast, but what you can do is you can go to Morningstar.com. That's Morningstar.com, and, and go look at because it's a research site that it's going to really allow you to see what these funds are made up of, and let you see all the different funds that go into to an asset classes that go into these different asset allocation funds, and, and they'll provide you a great deal of diversification with just one simple investment. And the reason, and I hate to recap on what we talked about three weeks ago, but the reason I say that about the two hundred thousand dollars is 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 going back to just thinking about if you make if you have ten thousand dollars that you started investing and, and you make twenty percent, I mean with ten thousand dollars and you make twenty percent or ten you know you're going to make two grand, which is a good bit of money. Don't get me wrong, but it's not going to be enough to 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 just stop what you're doing to change your life financially to where you can retire and become financially independent. So I always say people who are starting out with the saving, save, save, save is your primary focus because you're trying to get your assets up to that critical mass stage of 200,000 and greater because then if you make 20%, you make 40 grand. On $200,000, you make 20%, you'll have 40 grand that is a chunk of money. That is getting to be enough money that it's more than what you can make with your hands and your back. Um, you know, and you're, it's kind of it's talking about being rewarding when you make money without having to, to use your hands and your back and, and actually work and you just let the, the money make it for you. And that's rewarding. That's what financial independence is. So uh, that's one of the things that, that I think you do need to focus on when I say that $200,000 limit is I'm trying to get you to, instead of focusing on the specific investments, I'm trying to get you to focus on the, the concept of saving. Because if you don't have $200,000, you're still in the accumulation stage of where you are. And, and it gets even better. I had, a pro, I had a meeting with a client yesterday. They're at the million-dollar level. And, and, but they haven't always been there. They just recently have reached the million-dollar threshold. And I was talking to them. I said, what if we get another one of these dramatic comebacks like we had in 2003 where you guys could conceivably make 20% in one year? I said, that's $200,000 of increase in your account value if we have another one of those pops when the market does recover. And, and, and you could see in their eyes, they were like, holy cow, because they've never made $200,000 in a year with their, you know, working. But it, it, it's one of those things where they, they definitely got excited. And I'm not saying that you should count on 20%, but I, I do think it's one of those 
possibilities when markets are oversold for an extended period of time, you typically see that recovery occur quite quickly. And, and, and that's in other shows and other columns and other things that I've talked about. And you can go do some, some research and find that information. So getting back on track and discussing how to choose mutual funds, the first things you guys need to know is my thoughts on a, a little concept known as efficient market theory. And I've got an email. Um, let me go over what a, a efficient market theory is, and then I'm going to tell you an email which from a very a very smart listener that I've got the, a few weeks ago. But efficient market is since is this thought process. Since everyone has the same information about a stock, the price of a stock should reflect the knowledge and the expectations of really all investors. The bottom line bottom line is that an investor should not be able to beat the market since there's no way for him or her to know something about a stock that isn't already reflected in the stock price. And what I'm talking about there is, if you think about how all we, ha we have, you know, the internet now, we've got, you know, CNBC, we've got Fox Business, we've got, you know, the Wall Street Journal, the invest Investor's Business Daily, we've got Barron's. I mean, you can't help but be bombarded with all the financial information you could ever want. It's kind of like an all-you-can-eat buffet of financial information. And, and with all that information where there's only really a thousand big companies out there in the United States, you know, that are worth $10 billion, have a market capitalization of $10 billion or greater, um, how are you supposed to know any more than anybody else? Uh, it, it just gets to be really hard. And that's why you see that theory holding up to a degree with large cap U.S. companies. And, and when I say large cap U.S. companies, as I've already mentioned, these are really, there's, there's only about a thousand of them that have a, a, a market capitalization value greater than 10 billion, 10 to 12 billion. So meanwhile, there are pundits, analysts, and advisors like myself on every street corner that try to supposedly help you evaluate these thousand stocks. And, and I just don't see how you can do it, and, and especially when you take this into account is that the average mutual fund charges somewhere around 1.5% for management fees. That's what they pay the, the mutual fund manager. That's what they pay to you know, use that money for the covering their trading costs, cover you know, their Super Bowl ads, and all the other crazy gimmicks that they might have going on. Well, a good index fund, like the Fidelity Spartan series of index funds, a lot of their funds are at 0.10%. That's, you know, that's... 15 times, as, as, you know, one-fifteenth of the price of the managed funds. So that 1.4 difference in fees is, is the money that the active, is, the, is the, the, the spread that the active manager has to, has to outperform the index fund. And, and that's why if you look at the 10-year history, most of the time, the index funds, the S&P 500 outperforms about two-thirds of the active money managers out there. So that means there's a large number of people that are underperforming the markets. So this is the explanation I give on efficient markets is on large cap stocks, I think they work. Um, I got an email though from a listener, a very smart listener. Michael wrote me and he says, Brian, I'm a, I'm a lifetime, oh, wait, I, lifetime, no, I don't think, I'm a long time fan of your show, but I have an important question that always nags in my mind whenever you talk about index funds. I know that Warren Buffett recommends them too, which makes my question even more puzzling to me. I've listened to every episode and I know that whenever you recommend index funds, you talk about the high expense ratios of managed funds and how with the internet and money news channels, it's um, highly unlikely for one person to know more about large cap funds than another. However, my question is this. What does it matter if an expense ratio is 1% or 2% higher if the returns are 3 or 4% higher or more? You talk about efficient market, but I found a few managed funds 
with the great ratings that have done better than the S&P 500 over the last five years. I know these might be riskier than the spiders, which is just another word for um, the ETS for the, the S&P 500, but I'm only 23 and can handle some more risk. Um, so wouldn't I be better off with these? Michael, that is a great question, and i got to tell you, remember what I said is that the S&P 500 on a 10-year basis will outperform two-thirds of the money managers out there. So all I'm doing is, is, is I'm putting you in a situation of success, is that you're going to be one of the better performing. When you buy the, in, the market, you're getting it at a low cost. You're getting something that has a historical basis of outperformance on a good risk return basis. But you're right. You know, when you do say two-thirds, that means there is a third out there that is outperforming the market. I just think that most people have a hard time finding those managers. It's hard to find those gems within all the, the madness that's out there in the market unless you have the right tools, um, the right money managers, and the other people. So I, I'm just telling you, giving you general, broad advice on how you can beat the majority of the people out there and, and focus on what I think is important, especially for a 23-year-old, which is saving, 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 to get your assets up to that critical mass point. But it is a great point. I think you, you gave some great points and hopefully people have listened from that great email that you sent. And others of you, you can write me emails because I do take this stuff seriously when you write me at brian at money-guy.com. Now, let's talk about, we talked about large cap, you know, but hitting on where I think markets are not as efficient, the inefficient markets are foreign, which are international stocks, and small caps stocks, which, you know, those are the exact opposite. Instead of having 500 to 1,000 you know, companies that fit your, you know, that asset class, small companies, you're not going to know who these companies are unless you use their product or they're, they're based in your hometown. International, there's now, you know, there's so many different countries out there. And then w once you figure out which area that you, you know, geographically that you want to invest, you got to go find which company within that geography is good. That's, a, that's about impossible for, for the average person to do. So these are very inefficient marketplaces. So you probably do want to use the good managed fund because they justify and outperform the indexes um, when you're looking at small cap and international. Now, I'm giving you this, just to recap, buy index funds for your U.S. large cap exposure, unless you're like listener Michael, who, who's gone and done some screens and research, and I'm going to give you the tools to go do that for yourself, and maybe you can go find that third that's going to outperform the index. But if you want to go the easy way, the, the, it's going to put you better than two-thirds of the other people out there, then you, should, you can just do what Warren Buffett and what I recommend for a lot of people is save the money on the fees and, and just go buy the index fund. But you can go, uh, you know, I got off track there a little bit, but buy the index funds for large cap exposure and buy good managed funds for international and small cap. Now let's talk about, and I'm going to put a link on the site that I think if you really want to go in depth, you need to go check out. If you go to money-guy.com, we're going to have the link for the mutual fund screener that's available through Yahoo Finance. This thing is an incredible tool. And this tool will allow you to sort and filter through, you know, this uh, the ever-growing world of mutual funds. There's a mutual fund they will do about anything and everything and focus on uh, any investment that you could ever want. You know, because they, what they are, let's face it, they make money by the more money you invest in them. So if right now oil and gas is hot, 
there's a ton of oil and gas mutual funds. You know, when the internet was hot, there were a ton of internet mutual funds out there. You know, so you've got to have some type of tool that's going to allow you to filter through the noise of what's being known, you know, what has now become the mutual fund marketplace. A few key areas that I want you to consider using this mutual fund screener for and that you can go through is look at the category. The category is going to be that asset class. That, that lets you sort through so that you can, because you got to think about different asset classes once you get to a certain asset level. you got to think about large company stocks in the United States, mid-sized U.S. companies, small, you know, U.S. companies, international. you got to think about long, short hedge funds, you know, bonds, you know, commodity, which are natural resource type funds. I mean, these are all things that you want to take into account in this category. You can go find the best within every asset class. Ranking category is another tool you might want to use within this screening tool because ranking categories go show you how successful these people are among their peers. I mean, let's face it, real estate got beat up, you know, last year. And it's still, if you listen to a lot of things, but there's still funds out there within the real estate marketplace that are doing very well among their peers. So you want to be able to go and sort those out and find out who's doing good among their peer group of their asset class because it's not fair to judge, uh, you know, a uh, 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 the S&P 500 large cap funds compared to a natural resource oil and gas fund right now because they're doing two completely different things. So that's why you got to make sure you rank them based upon their category because they're very different investments. Uh, manager, manager tenure. You want to pay attention to manager tenure because Let's face it, you don't want to, you do not want to hire somebody who's green behind the ears, who's learning how to manage money with your funds. You want to go find somebody who's consistently beating their, you know, hanging in the top with their peers. That's that ranking category. But you also want to find a manager who's been doing it for a while because that's important. If, you, if you're basing what you think is going on with this fund and the historical performance of this fund, the last thing you want to do is see that, that you, you've ranked, you're buying this fund because it's got a great 10-year history, but they changed manager three months ago. That does you no good then. You might not be able to rely upon that historic performance as well as you could have if this person had been there all 10 years. You also want to check out the Morningstar rating. I, th I think, you know, it, they've, it's, it's not an, an absolute um, accurate thing. You know, of course, every rating system has got faults, but I do think it gives you a, 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 some type of indication of how good the fund does. Um, you want to check out the three- and five-year annualized return. You don't want to chase that hot dot and just because it was good last year. You want to jump in. You want to go see how it did on a three- to five-year basis. Specifically, you know, getting out there, you might even want to go a little further than five years, maybe even the 10-year, so that you can go see how it did during the 2000, 2001, 2002 bear market. Because let's face it, we're in a pretty volatile marketplace right now. It's nice to go see how those funds handled the last bear market and how as well as how they're handling right now. Um, you want to go look at the minimum initial investment, you know, because that's going to determine how much you, how you can get involved. It does you no good to go find a good institutional fund that, that requires, you know, $5 million to buy into because you can't buy that fund. So you want to make sure you go sort through this screener tool by minimum initial investments because it, it fits you. Um, front loads. This is where you're going to want to go on the filter and adjust it to only allow no-load mutual funds. Um, that way you can sort through and, and funds that you can buy yourself and not have to pay a sales commission to, to somebody else and avoid that 3 to 5% sales charge that they're going to take off your money. And, and people probably don't understand how sales charges, because you don't see it on your statement when you buy from a commission guy. But, um, you know, if you give somebody $100,000, 
you know, and it's got a 3% sales commission on it, $3,000, only 97 of it actually got invested. The other three went to go pay the sales commission. And not to say all sales commission is bad. There's actually, if you're going to buy commission-based funds, probably the best fund company out there for commission-based funds has historically has been American funds. So there's probably a lot of you out there using American funds because they, they do have a kind of a reputation for being one of the better performing commission fund companies out there. Um, the last thing you want to look at after looking at the front load is the expense ratio. Like I said, that's what they get. That's what they pay the manager for the mutual fund company. That's what they pay their transaction costs, and that's what they pay for you know the, all their advertising and every all the other you know rent and anything else that could go with running their company. So these type of things, if you go play with this screening tool, you're going to be able to go limit down and put together a pretty nice. Uh, list of funds. So the next thing after you have that list of funds that you want to focus on in investing is putting them into an asset allocation that reflects your risk profile, your age, how far you are from retirement, how much income you have, how much job security you have. All these things go into your asset allocation. So I know we have thrown a ton of information in this podcast know this was probably one of the the drier podcasts I like to you know sometimes it's kind of a mixed bag with you guys because when I try to do fun things where I put articles in you know that have a little light air to them and and talk about items I get some of you say hey Brian I like it when you you get away from the articles and you focus on just giving us your opinion upon upon how investing and and picking out stocks and mutual funds works Uh, you know so I get that from one side and then other times when I do shows like this where I try to get in depth and talk about the topics, I get others that come to me and go, Brian, you know, gosh, you know, I like to listen to you, but I was falling asleep on that thing. You got so detailed that this stuff was boring. So it's, it's, it's kind of a fine line, and hopefully I can balance that with you guys, keep this stuff entertaining, keep tuning in, because just like we diversify out there in the financial markets, I'm going to keep diversifying us on topics to keep this thing light, keep you entertained. But the only way we're going to continue to grow is if you continue to let your friends and family know about us. Also, I'm noticing quite a few of you are registering on the site. If you go to money-guy.com, in the upper right-hand corner, you can register with the site. Right now, it's completely free where you can register, and we're going to start putting in um, some some free stuff that we're going to be giving out. That You have to register with the site to go get the free stuff, like market commentary, as well as special podcasts and other things that we're going to be offering to the members of the Money Guy um, family. But... Go check it out. Go go consider re- registering with the site while it's free. Down the road, I'm not sure we're going to keep it free, but right now it's completely free. We're going to start adding some benefits. Also, in addition to that, you can go typing your email address on the right side of the, the website, and every time we do a brand new post, you can get the, e- the show notes emailed directly to you, and I think that's a, that's a great tool. So go check us out, money-guy.com. And I'm your host for the Money Guy Show. We've got another week before I talk to you again. I'll talk to you soon. I'm Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.